It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. This is Dr. Simon. My show is the, called The Stories We Live By. And this is the first time in all the years I've been doing this show. And I think I started in 2007. Can it be that long? I have to check, but I think it is. That I've ever done more than one show at a time in sequence. And this is the third in three days. And part of that is motivated by the fact that as long as this pandemic continues... And I don't feel safe living my normal life uh, because uh, I have certain conditions as I approach next week, my 80th birthday, that the probability of my surviving the um, virus, the COVID-19, is not very great. I'm trapped, and it really is bothering me, the sense of being trapped. And I wonder, since this week, uh, as this week, uh, June 1st, uh, my license to practice psychology will be up. Uh, I am not renewing it. I didn't want to renew it uh, for many reasons. Um, and that uh, the chances of my ever teaching again, uh, even if I could get a job, are not that great. Um, and I'm going to do, if not tomorrow, I may take a day off or two. Uh, I want to talk about my views on education uh, as they relate uh, to uh, uh, psychotherapy and my views on psychotherapy as they relate to education. Uh, So my professional life is largely over. Um, And so I ask myself while I'm here, what is the purpose of my life other than taking care of my uh, wife, who I do have to, um, and uh, living through uh, my hopes and fears for my children and grandchildren. Um, That's a lot, but not really what I consider my life. And since I'm still able to uh, dial the phone and talk on air this way, I need a purpose. Uh, It's been very important to me that I write the book that is now out a year and really hasn't sold many copies. Uh, For ego reasons, I would like it to sell more copies. I'd like to, uh, since this is the first book I self-published, and uh, I would like to recoup the amount of money that I spent getting it published. A very good job done by BookBaby, uh, the company, BookBaby.com. Um, I recommend them. Anybody wants to uh, self-publish a book. Um, And I'm already working on an expansion of the book, a revision. Uh, It'll be the last book. Uh, And I won't publish the revision unless there's a bit of a more market created by the current book. And I've been thinking, what do I want my legacy as a psychologist to be, especially in these last years? And it's clearer and clearer to me that in 
independently of what I would like to see happen for myself with the successful sale of the book, for my reputation as a psychologist, uh, is to literally do all that I can to destroy the medical model of psychiatry and get as many human beings as I can, both professional and uh, lay people, uh, who are being convinced constantly that they need uh, therapy, that they're mentally disturbed, more and more that they have to spend a lifetime on drugs reportedly that will uh, create a new, Im new balance in their brains because their depression, their sadness, uh, the, the feelings that I'm suffering from uh, more each day of being trapped and not living the life I want to, uh, that these are due to a chemical imbalance uh, and can't be proven. Uh, in fact, the evidence, as I discussed yesterday, is that uh, there is no chemical imbalance. There are chemical differences in the brains of human beings, but nothing that can either predict uh, normal behavior or abnormal behavior behavior that is uh, gratifying or behavior that is troubling. It doesn't exist. And secondly, I would like to convince uh, as many psychologists as I can that as things go, there's not going to be a field of psychotherapy based upon some kind of good interpersonal relationship that helps people sort out some of the reasons that they are contributing or part and parcel of what makes their lives miserable, unhappy, uh, and, and not fruitful. Um, I would like to destroy the medical model so it doesn't exist anymore, that it goes by the, the way of the Inquisition, where people were uh, uh, tortured until they admitted that they were witches. Most of the witches turned out to be women, although occasionally a warlock or two uh, was diagnosed, uh, and then burnt at the stake, or if they confessed, strangled to death so they didn't have to endure the horror of being set on fire in a public execution while everybody cheered the happy fact that another witch who is responsible for their unhappiness, is gone and dead. So the, the field is so rife with lies and distortions that go unexamined. And one of those is the idea of intelligence, human intelligence, and the tests that supposedly measure intelligence. Right? As I wrote in my book, during the earlier years especially of my work as a psychologist, the psychologist's job was to do the diagnostic workup on an individual. The social worker was an individual who took down the complaints of the uh, incoming patient, patient in quotes. The second uh, uh, level was the psychologist who tested. Right? And over the years, I tested hundreds of people many adults, and many children. And I'm sorry I ever did it. At the time, though, I believed the assumptions that underlie the idea of testing, personality and intelligence. And if I have a little time at the end, I'll talk about the real nonsense 
of showing people ink blots, 10 ink blots called the Rorschach test, and thinking you really learn about uh, the unconscious, the real motive, something substantial about another human being. Uh, but I did this, and I did it, and I had a good reputation for doing it. Uh, you can't get rich. I couldn't get rich doing it, but I did do it. And I was pleased to do it, and I thought I was part of a helping process, when in fact what I was doing was hurting people. Uh, I think I mentioned on the show before, if not, I may have written it somewhere. When I closed up my house in, on Long Island to come to Florida, I cleaned out a file cabinet and found about uh, 40 tests, 50 tests that I had done, workups on children and adults that uh, um, I had kept in this filing cabinet. And I read through them in absolute horror of what I had done uh, in, the, in, in all positive belief that I was doing good. Right? Um, the things I said, and all I could do is hope, gee, could I reach these people and hopefully find out that this particular test that I did of them, uh, which ushered them into the more, the teeth of the mental health system, didn't seriously damage their lives. Uh, because they could have. They may have done so. Because so many of the people who enter into the mental health system uh, and get diagnosed with some invidious name of mental illness, or in the case of today's discussion, get diagnosed and tested by an IQ that says they have a low intelligence quotient. They don't have much native intelligence. There's a generalized quality called intelligence, and they lack it, leading to the belief and the prediction that whatever they're taught in any area will not um, be successful. And yesterday when I was talking to uh, my caller, uh, I remembered the, the young boy that I was friends with in the sixth grade who apparently was not seen as intelligent as myself and put into class 716 with the rest of the so-called, quote, dummies. And by the ninth grade, his life was on a totally different trajectory, his self-image, his sense of worth, because I have no doubt that he was tested and his native intelligence was found lacking. Uh, the history of this is quite gruesome. Uh, for many years, and it still is an underlying assumption that really has never gone away, that the reason your intelligence is high or low is because of genetics, and mainly the genes you inherited. Right? Um, it was seen for a period of time uh, uh, in, in the earlier part of the last century as an issue of the size of your brain. Uh, in a century before that, uh, there was a fellow who used to measure the size of people's skulls. And by the way, uh, Einstein's brain was not a particularly large one, uh, and he had a lot of hair, but his skull wasn't particularly big either. The, the notion of this intelligence, then, can follow an individual and condemn them to be a loser who is seen as lacking in one of the essential qualities to be a successful human being. 
And I'm sorry I did it, and I know it's still being done, and I don't want it done to anybody anymore. It shouldn't be. In the 1920s and 30s, Congress actually passed a bill because it was believed by psychiatrists and other medical doctors that people with low intelligence who really don't have the ability to learn and become successful shouldn't have children. Under a system called eugenics, uh, uh, individual were tested for their intelligence, and if it was low, uh, measured low, and I'll explain how that works, uh, they were sterilized, forced sterilized, legally. This, of course, ultimately horrified uh, many professionals and psychologists, and the forced sterilization of eugenics stopped in the United States, but became the basis for racial superiority actions taken in Nazi Germany, where children who showed slow learning and were tested with intelligence tests that I'll describe in a bit, were put to death in the concentration camps along with the other Untermenschen, the underpeople, in order to approve the racial superiority of the German folk, the German people. So the story is a long, sad, and sordid one, sorted one. Um, while I was, uh, I sent out a message to ISEPP to see if I can get somebody to come on and discuss the topic with me. Uh, one of the people who, uh, uh, Patricia Bowerly, who has taken it upon herself to inform uh, the membership of important articles in news, in the news, in, in journals, um, uh, wrote back to me that she agreed with what I was going to talk about today and reminded me of Stephen Jay Gould's 1981 book called The Mismeasure of Man, in which he took on the whole notion of, of IQ tests and intelligence, which I'm about to do now. And I forgot about his book, uh, it's 30 years now. Uh, I know I quoted it in some of my earlier publications, uh, and I was very much taken with the book. Uh, although at the time, I'm not sure it impacted me like it does now because I was earning my living. And it's very hard when you're earning your living to say, I can't do this anymore and leave how you earn your living. Right? Uh, you justify, or you just simply compartmentalize. I did. I would compartmentalize, and, and uh, I see this is what millions of people do. That piece of knowledge is over here, and how I earn my living is over there, and I work over there, and I can enjoy and gnash my teeth and become outraged over on the other side. But this is what I did and what millions of people do, right? Otherwise, you really do become unable to function, and I'm not in that position anymore. So, the underlying notion of intelligence really can be destroyed by looking at what we mean by mind. We talk about ourselves having a mind as if it's a real thing, like a brain, and the self, which is, is our awareness of our minds, 
and how we function as a real thing. It sort of sits behind our eyes and guides our actions. But we don't have actual minds described by nouns. What we do is we mind, as in we think, we feel. We don't have an imagination, we imagine. These are all activities. They're what we do as human beings. And part of the mystery here is that the work I do as I walk across the room or as I speak into this phone, I'm aware of all the work I'm doing, but not all. The stuff that my brain does, I'm not aware of. Because if I was aware of what my brain was doing, I wouldn't be able to distinguish between what's outside of me and what's going on on the inside. Right? I would be confused. And I've spoken about this in many of my other shows. So that mind has to be seen as a verb. And so intelligence is not a thing. It's a set of actions, a set of activities. And what we mean then by these activities is activity by the whole human being that has to take into account their background, uh, how they've been raised, how much stimulation they get at home, the quality of their education, their interests, and their values. But when I would sit down with the intelligence test, and the assumption is still there, whether or not it was genetic, it was something real intelligence, and I was measuring something real that is independent of all these other hundreds of factors can affect how the outcome of an intelligence test or how a person learns. And I'll tell you the story early in my career that really upset me at the time uh, and which grew and grew until today. I was testing a little boy of, of, uh, and I'll tell you how the IQ tests work. Let me go back and, and set this up a little bit. The main intelligence tests that I used throughout my career were the Wexler Adult Intelligence Scale, the WACE, and the Wexler Intelligence Scale for Children, the WISC. And I was giving a little boy the WISC, and now the WISC is about 13 or 14 subtests that are divided into two large sections, the verbal and the nonverbal. All right? Verbal is vocabulary, uh, memorizing, uh, uh, giving definitions of words, uh, general information, right? Uh, And just for example, one of the questions was, it still is, what are the colors of the American flag? And when I would test a child who had just come and was an immigrant from Bulgaria who didn't know what the color of the American flag was, but did know the color of the Bulgarian flag, and to this moment I have no idea what those colors are. So if I was given a question about the Bulgarian flag, my intelligence would have been lower than that child, but his intelligence was lowered by the fact that he didn't know the colors of the American flag. There's no such thing as a set of information that's independent of culture. 
But I didn't think about that clearly. But that's what happens. You're measuring something vocabulary. Now, it's not that these things might be unimportant. The hand-eye coordination, so you can copy a design with multicolored blocks from a card that shows you the particular design. It's not that these things are meaningless, but they're not measuring anything called intelligence. They're measuring knowledge and skill. And knowledge and skill may have innate components, but they have to be developed through human interaction. That's why we have parents, and that's why hopefully they are loving and caring parents, and that's why we have schools that start early and now go late. And one of the reasons that college and postgraduate schools are important is that we have created a society in which the skills that represent so-called intelligence are so complex and so difficult that it takes years and years and years of education. And people whose interests and skills are not particularly verbal. Oh, I just lost my... Uh, ah. Uh, and who's not... Are the, not the skills called for by the test don't do as well. Right? So as this little boy was walking out of the test, I was restoring him to his mother. And uh, when I would sit down with a child, I wanted to make sure that the child wasn't feeling threatened by me. All right? How do you do that? Children and adults act in a certain way as they're expected to and hide a lot of feelings. If a child is not motivated, well, I'll hold that for a second. Anyway, the blue boy, he starts to cry. And I said to him, what's the matter? And he said, I have a terrible tummy ache. And I said to him, do you have the same tummy ache when I gave you the test? And he said, yes. So I took him to his mother, and I said, I'm going to retest him next week, which I caught hell from by my, uh, uh, um, my director, who was my friend, uh, and ultimately, you know, listened to my, my story and accepted what I was doing. But there's no budget for that. You test them and on you go. Okay? Uh, I didn't know he wasn't feeling well. So you can take the whisk or the waist and give it a second time because there are too much for a person to remember and very few people will look up questions. They can't get the test unless they are a professional. And I assume this little boy and his mother, who were not the most uh, sophisticated uh, uh, in dealing with the bureaucracy and, and, and the professions, uh, these were very work nice, pleasant, working-class people. Um, so you could give the test again. You could do test-retest. How the test works, you give the person a score, and then you compare their score to the average score of their age group of what's called their cohort. Right? And if their score is the same in average to the average of all the children their age, then it would come out to be a one. The ratio is one because it's the same number. Right? Uh, and then you multiply by 100. Right? So the average IQ is 100. What's interesting is the 100 today is much, much higher than the 100 used to be years and years ago because as 
uh, health is improved, as how education in many ways is improved, what would have been 100, that is the average score of a child compared to the average score, the actual score of a child compared to the average score of his age cohort, of his age group, uh, has changed. Genetics haven't particularly changed, but that's changed. And I said, I want to see him next week, but I don't want to see him until he's feeling all better. The mother thanked me. Apparently, this was not a big imposition of her time. Uh, She clearly adored her child. And a week later, she gave me the child back, and I retested him. On the first testing, his score compared to his cohort was 70, which means he had an IQ of 70. Borderline defective. Oh, no parent wants to ever hear that their child is defective intellectually. It's the kiss of death in so many areas of life. Feeling better, his IQ is now tested 110, a bright average. And the child's behavior and demeanor towards me was completely different. He wasn't in pain. And how he felt about me the second time around, clearly he was more motivated. But the intelligence test is supposed to measure something independent of how the person being tested feels about the person administering the test. As I'll describe in my book, as I described in my book, when I would give a Rorschach test, I was told by a supervisor in graduate school, this is a direct measure, an X-ray of the unconscious mind. Wow! Now there's a tool to have. I'm a real doctor. I can measure the unconscious with an X-ray. Pen ink blots. And sometime later, if I can, I'll describe how some guy leered at me and he made all kinds of pornographic responses as he drooled, literally drooled, looking at me. And I got up and I finished the test and I went to the supervisor and I said to him, What's that? Oh, he's a gay guy. He's a bit crazy and he was being seductive. But wait a second. An x ray doesn't care how I feel about the x-ray takes the same picture and the x-ray doesn't have sexual or any other feelings to me or anyone else of whom it takes the picture there's no x-ray based upon the interaction between two people who have now just met and won't see each other again in all probability under circumstances that the individual uh, who's being tested may not want to even be part of. What am I measuring? Certainly it's not anything innate, and certainly it's not anything objective and independent of their social conditions, of their social economic conditions, of their home life, of their mood at the moment. As I was going through these horrendous uh, tests, uh, I recognized that some of them uh, uh, were black teenagers. And it's interesting because these were in the early 1970s with the rise of black pride and black power, the Black Panthers. I was the man. 
and I was becoming aware at that time of being the man. And I was never particularly racist, but I was. I had racial animus. Uh, I didn't see blacks the same as I saw whites. But then again, I didn't see the Italians that lived around the corner that we call guineas, who didn't see me as a Jew particularly in the same way as they saw themselves. We were kikes. Okay? Uh, all of this played in. So it wasn't the kind of, of, of terrible animus where I would want to hurt a black kid. But this kid was looking at me, this African-American kid's looking at me. I'm the man. He doesn't want to be here. He doesn't want to be subjected to my authority. And this, I could see, permeated every test, every question, every part of the intelligence. I had no idea how well or poorly he could do on this test. No idea at all. But I wrote it up as I did have that ability. And I'm sorry for it. And I hope that any psychologist hearing this will recognize that they should be sorry for it, even if they're earning their living. It shouldn't be done. And most, I hope this reaches way out to the public who will not subject their children to this ministration. So, we all have abilities, but if you ask <clears throat> professionals, teachers, and psychologists, the ability that's the most importantly recognized as real intelligence is verbal. Verbal. Okay? And that I see as a lie. My ability to use words is no more or less intelligence than somebody who is a professional athlete and has the ability, as a quarterback, say, to read the line that's coming at him and the line that's defending him and throw that ball accurately to a, a, another player or a golfer. Certainly, I have met professional artists who are not particularly verbal, but in terms of expressing musical ideas, they were genius. They were fabulous in terms of the skill they had in that area of life. And that is sort of where I can finish or begin to finish. What each of us needs is a skill and a place to exercise that skill. Yesterday, as I spoke about uh, um, mental health, I see mental health as existing, not as real health, but as a metaphor for a life lived in which we are involved democratically and lovingly with other human beings, and at the same time, find a place for ourselves in which we can express those skills we have which then can be called intelligence. Partly we're born with a module for some area. Partly it's the culture. Partly it's what we live with at home. Many people who I've over the years spoken with who are chefs love to cook. And there are a few people who make other human beings happier 
than those who have a real sense of skill and love of producing really good, tasty food. Yes, that's real intelligence too. If they're lucky enough to find a place where they could live their life and exercise that skill, they have really all the intelligence they can need. Um, Some years ago, one of the writers in the New York Times, and again, I'm sorry, my mind forgets names faster than anything else, wrote a book on social intelligence. Yes, I've known people. I I had a a friend that uh, over many years when I lived on Long Island who recently passed away, who when it came to ideas and words, uh, was not a particularly intelligent individual, but when it came to dealing with people, and being a businessman, he made me a pretty stupid far second. And one of the reasons I would love to go out with him and his wife, my wife and I would go for dinner, is he know where to go, and he had social skills. He had the skill that we know is called schmoozing. Right? We got the extra glass of wine. We got the best chef. We got everything first rate. Because he knew how to make people in that role, that skill, feel good. It was real. Don't tell me, please, that's not intelligence. So it's not a thing. Intelligence isn't a thing. It's a skill. And it's a skill that is meaningful and necessary and works best if an individual can develop that individual skill and find a place in which it brings an income, it brings pleasure to others, and joy to the self. And all of this bullshit that makes up the field of clinical psychology, which has to end, because some of the best people I know sit down with other suffering, unhappy human beings, form a relationship, and have them understand how they have become participants in their own unhappiness. I got a call yesterday, if anybody listens to my last broadcast, from a fellow uh, named Hugh. And what Hugh said, he was depressed because he saw society as greedy and overbearing and damaging. But what the real depression was part of is that he was part of it. He was part of it. He was taking responsibility at that point in his life for saying it's not just them who are being greedy, it's me too, and dropped out. Today, he doesn't have a pair of shoes, and he lives on the beach, and I have no doubt that any clinical psychologist, most clinical psychologists and a lot of psychiatrists, if not all of them, would say, what was I doing talking to a really crazy guy? He's crazy. No, no. He has a set of skills and an understanding. And as I spoke to him yesterday, it seemed to me he was a lot happier yesterday than I was feeling in many ways until I spoke to him, until I did my show, and how I feel right now doing this show. I hope you will read my book. I have to adjust this. I have to give you on everything I do. Uh, I have to go to Amazon.com. And then you could, psychotherapy and the stories we live by. And I have seven really nice reviews. 
There's a different review and a very fine review from readers' favorites at barnesandnoble.com. Again, you put in Lawrence Simon, L-A-U-R-E-N-C-E-S-I-M-O-N. And up comes a lovely, lovely review by someone by the name of Gisela, if I'm saying it right, Gisela, Gisela, Gisela Dixon. Um, but Amazon won't take reviews from uh, professional uh, reviewers, and this is from a professional reviewer, a, a, a company that does professional reviews. And buy the book. And don't allow yourself to be diagnosed again. That if you want to go for help, to figure out how you have been victimized and how you may now be victimizing yourself because we all do that. Okay? We become our own worst enemy by not being able to see that how we adapted and dealt with a hurtful situation makes us hurtful to others and hurt for ourselves, which may be not necessary. So I think that what I call psychotherapy, and I put therapy in quotes, having nothing to do with medicine, but a real discussion and real exercise in learning is a wonderful and helpful process. But not until the damn field gets out of the business of psychiatry, now totally dominated by big pharma, the drug companies, who are about to, well on their way, convince all of the depressed and anxious people who think they're going to be locked in their house for the rest of their lives or for years anyway, right, to take more pills, they're more of their expensive drugs, to numb their brains and screw them up. Uh, no, 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 it can't be. It is, but I don't want it to be. So I don't see anybody calling in today. Uh, I don't win any popularity contests for saying this. Uh, I get labeled crazy by those who are the true believers, who believe that mental illness are real, that intelligence is something actually real that can be measured, quantified, put into a statistical analysis, rather than a skill that exists uh, uh, for biological reasons, but for social reasons, economic reasons, uh, uh, cultural reasons. A million different reasons. Right? So um, that's it. Uh, I've done my job for today. I'm going to talk next about education, my view of education, and under the circumstances where I think it's wonderful and helpful, and others where it is uh, part of an authoritarian, hierarchical system that convinces people that they're better than some and not as good as others. And that's so much what happens with these intelligence tests. You're an average intelligence. You're above average. You're a genius. You know, Freud was, a, uh, was considered crazy when he, early, when he unveiled his psychological theories, his theories of human uh, pathology, mental illness. Uh, and uh, 50 years later, he was a great genius. Both meaningless concepts but they're judgments that create the illusion of explanation. So, I think that's enough. Time to turn on the television and find out what our beloved president has done, what obscenities, 
and what terrible things he may have done to make our lives more dangerous and miserable. And uh, my wife will yell at me, turn that off. And then it'll be time for drinky poo, cocktail hour. And I feel good enough today to have a glass and a glass and a half of wine, sit down and enjoy my dinner with my beautiful wife, and then spend a couple of hours watching the telly, a lot of English shows that we watch and love. Uh, And that'll be it for today. So good night and goodbye. Ending the episode. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.